glory to you, O Lord. Our gospel this morning is indeed from St. Matthew, chapter 11, verses 2 through 15, and can be found on page 1512 of your pew Bible. Matthew records, When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in the king's palaces. Then, what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of woman, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who, ha who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus. So, did you hear what the divine preacher had to say about John? He said, truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. You heard it in today's gospel, and that is what Jesus had to say about John. No one, not one, none is greater 
You heard it yourself, straight from the mouth of Jesus Christ. So, if John is so great, shouldn't he be living the victorious Christian life? Shouldn't he be living the American dream if John is so great? What is John doing in prison? Today's reading from the gospel does not include the reason John was in prison, but other parts of the gospel fill in the details. We, we learn that John was in prison because he spoke the truth. He spoke the truth to power. In this case, the power was Herod Antipas. Uh, he was the son of Herod the Great. Herod Antipas had stolen the wife of his brother Philip. This was a clear case of adultery. And John the Baptist fearlessly and faithfully condemned Herod for this adultery. So, Herod had him arrested. You really can't blame John for having his doubts. He had done what he was supposed to do. He was already a prophet in his mother's womb as he leapt for joy when Mary approached bearing Jesus in her womb. He had baptized thousands for repentance in anticipation of the coming Messiah. He had done everything that he was supposed to do. And yet, he ended up in the clink. You can't blame him for looking back over his ministry and wondering if it was all worth it. There are, there are many who struggle with the idea that John had doubts. John was the last of the Old Testament prophets. John preached with power. John baptized the Lord and heard a voice from heaven and saw the Spirit descend as a dove. And surely someone who had all these experiences wouldn't crack under pressure. There has to be another answer, right? Wrong. No. No. For us Christians, now hear this, because I'm preaching this to myself too. For us Christians, there is never a time when faith is very far from the edge of unbelief. Yeah, I just said that. Satan never leaves us Christians alone. But each day he works harder to take us away from Christ. And John was no exception. The sad reality is, is that even preachers can lose the faith that they preach to others. Both the preacher and the hearer are not immune to unbelief. 
And we, cre- we Christians know that life can become so miserable, like Job, that we are forced to ask ourselves, if God really cares about us, Perhaps we go to the extreme and question whether God really exists. John's question was a little different. You see, he sent his disciples to ask whether Jesus was the Christ. He asked them to ask, are you the one who is to come? Or should we be looking for another? Now John, who had pointed to Jesus the Messiah, toyed with the idea that he may have made a misidentification. If Jesus was not the Christ predicted by the prophets, then John's ministry was a total waste. Now when John's disciples came to Jesus, Jesus, he answered them. And he said, go and tell John what you hear and see. Go and tell John. Jesus understood John's doubts. He understood that John needed assurance. And then Jesus appointed John's disciples to be apostles, which means sent ones. Ones who are specifically sent to bring their witness to John. Jesus invited John's disciples to witness his work and then to go and to take this witness, this proclamation of his work back to John. Here is a very basic truth. Very basic truth. When we have doubts, Jesus says this, Hear what I have done. He sends people to proclaim the wonders that he has done so that we can hear about them. By, his, by this proclamation of his deeds, he sends the Holy Spirit to bear us up and strengthen us as we travel through this sinful world, and especially as we travel through those darker times of doubt. Hear what I have done. Hear what Christ has done for you. And Jesus told John's disciples to take two kinds of proclamation to John. First, there is the proclamation of the signs and the credentials that Jesus is who he says he is. That is this. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. And these signs are the fulfillment of prophecy. In fact, we did hear some of that prophecy in today's Old Testament reading. And these signs clearly identify Jesus as the promised Messiah. These 
visible miracles of Jesus are credentials that validate the authority to perform the most important miracle of all. As Jesus himself once said when he healed a paralytic, this is in Matthew 9, 6, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said this to the paralytic, rise and pick up your bed and go home. Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. This miracle of forgiveness is much more important than all the other miracles combined. This is the miracle that the disciples will proclaim when they tell John that the poor have good news preached to them. This is nothing other than Jesus telling the poor that he forgives their sins. Here's the true antidote for doubt. The true antidote for doubt is this, the proclamation that Jesus forgives sins. Now we may think that we can take comfort and certainty in many supernatural attributes of God, in taking comfort in his power and his knowledge, his wisdom, his holiness, and so forth. But that is really not the case. Without forgiveness, those other attributes only serve to terrify us. If there is no forgiveness, then God's holiness only sets him apart from sinful people like us. If there is no forgiveness, then God's total knowledge reveals our every sin. And if there is no forgiveness, then God's power is there to punish our sin. Without forgiveness, God is simply the ultimate terror. When there is forgiveness, then God is comfort, and God is assurance. When there is forgiveness, God's holiness is for us. When there is forgiveness, God acknowledges or he, well, when there is forgiveness, God's knowledge serves us. When there is forgiveness, God's power protects us. And with forgiveness, God is the ultimate comfort. He is the ultimate reassurance. Forgiveness does not come cheap, does it? The one who earns forgiveness must satisfy God's justice. And God's justice requires the punishment of the sin. And that is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus took your sin into himself. And then when God punished your sin, the punishment fell on Jesus and not on you and not on me. And when Jesus hung on the cross, he took your place as the target of God's just punishment of sin. This is nothing other than God's perfect love 
enduring God's perfect justice for you. This is Jesus earning forgiveness for you. And Jesus put the finishing touches on the cure for doubt. A few days later, after he died, you remember his friends placed his dead body in the tomb, but it did not stay there. Instead, Jesus transformed his mortal body into immortality, and he rose from the dead. And it is his resurrection that is the ultimate sign that Jesus will do exactly what he has promised to do, and that is he will return and raise us all to live with him forever. John did not see Jesus do any miracles, but he heard the proclamation of Jesus from his disciples. And they proclaimed the physical healing miracles of Jesus as his credentials. And then they proclaimed the forgiveness of sins to John, and the Holy Spirit removed all of John's doubts. You see, faith does not feed on miracles. Many of Jesus' opponents, they saw his miracles and refused to believe. Faith feeds on the gospel, the proclamation that Jesus forgives sins. People do not die for something that they know is a lie. Hundreds, perhaps thousands of people died proclaiming that they saw, that they touched, that they spoke with, that they ate with and otherwise interacted with the living Lord after they knew that he had died on the cross. They proclaimed the forgiveness of sins earned by Jesus Christ in their lives, and they proclaimed him with their deaths. And through these martyrs, we receive the same proclamation of the forgiveness of sins that John received from his disciples. And this is the proclamation that cures our doubts. Jesus Christ forgives your sins. In the name of Jesus, amen.